Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Juan Sierra. So Juan, uh, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and uh, the church that you're at or the position that you're at in the CRC. Yeah, so my name is Juan Sierra. I am currently the program manager for the ministry of uh, the program of Global Coffee Break, uh, formerly just called Coffee Break, now Global Coffee Break. And I've been in that position now for about three years. I'm also commission pastor in the CRC uh, with uh, Sunlight Community Church from Port St. Lucie, Florida. So I'm part of classes southeast. Um, I'm also currently serving as regional pastor, but I may not be continuing that. Uh, so I've been in the pa- uh, pastor, commission pastor with Sunlight for about uh, seven years now. And I've planted a church. I've preached to many different areas throughout my classes and different churches. Uh, and I've been in the CRC since I was in high school, oh, well. uh, mainly here in, in Florida. Um, my family, my wife is a... Uh, School teacher. She teaches uh, Spanish at a Christian school. We live in Vero Beach, Florida, and I have two boys. One is uh, about to graduate and go to uh, school in Orlando, and then one is uh, 13. So that's, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, that's awesome. Juan, why don't you just give us a little history? Talk, tell us about kind of your call into ministry a little bit, or your call to be a commission pastor and to plant a church. And... Yeah, so. You know, uh, a while back, we, uh, my wife and I, we started a Bible study at our church in Spanish. Um, we were just, you know, just kind of saw the need for have something in Spanish where we lived. Wasn't really planning right, you know, to plant the church at the time, but eventually did grow into a church plant. Uh, and that's what we did. We did that for a while. Um, then right before, the year before COVID, uh, we decided to step away from that. We moved to a different city. My wife and I did, and I handed the church off to to someone else. Uh, and eventually, through COVID and some other things that kind of like died out, 
um, that that particular plant. Um, but that's okay. The planter was a friend of mine. He ended up um, being at a, at a different campus, and things kind of things kind of worked out. And then I eventually worked out because I, I, I landed in this position that I am now as well. Um, but I still feel, you know, I'm called to ministry and doing this this particular ministry, which I feel, you know, called to, which is a small group ministry and the work that uh, that we do at, at Global Coffee Break. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you uh, just take an opportunity to tell us a little bit about what you do uh, for Global Coffee Break, like what your role is and then what ministry Global Coffee Break offers to the CRC. Yeah. So, um, so as the program manager, I oversee really all aspects of the ministry. Uh, we have about six different employees that I help to kind of supervise uh, as we kind of go out and help the churches with two things. We help to provide materials and we help with training. Uh, so Coffee Break has been in the CRC for 52 years now. Uh in 2020, it was supposed to celebrate 50 years. We were going to do a, a big celebration. <laughs> and of course, we couldn't because of COVID. Uh, but uh, it's, yeah, little known fact, it's been around for 50 years, started in the CRC, grew within the CRC, and its heyday was, was just huge. And then kind of started to kind of like decline a bit. But it did grow globally, uh, especially within the Korean community. It's just huge. Like in South Korea, we have thousands and thousands of users uh, and members. And even here in the U.S., we have quite a bit. So when I came on, uh, one of the things that I did was kind of rebrand. Uh, we rebranded us with a new logo, new name, uh, Global Coffee Break, to kind of show the aspect of, you know, how we are. We're in about, we're close to, we're in close to 30 different countries now uh, where we have partnerships and people, you know, using what we do. At the heart of what we do is, is small group ministry. I mean, stuff that's not really technically rocket science where people think, oh, that's not sexy, but you know, it is the heart of ministry. It's, it's, you know, getting into a small group uh, and people studying the word. It's really getting back to basics. So we produce a material called discover your Bible, which uses kind of the inductive method. We call it the discovery method so that people get deeper into the word. And there are still many churches in the CRC that use this material uh, sometimes pastors know about us, sometimes they don't, or they think, uh, you know, it's just a, a group for these little old ladies in the church, but it's really a lot more than that. Um, it's it's deeper than that. And not, not, not to belittle those groups either, because we have many groups that are very, very faithful. Um, and I can, you know, I could tell you some stories later about some of these ladies and what they've done through COVID. It's just been amazing. And uh, I know that there are churches out there that this is their primary form of outreach. Um, because at the heart of what we do is it's evangelistic in nature, it's outreach in nature, um, because it's all about creating a, a welcoming atmosphere where you can invite somebody and, and be with them. So I oversee all aspects, uh, whether whether that's the, we have somebody who helps to kind of supervise the writing of our material and the different writers that we have. And then um, I help to kind of supervise people who help us to grow the program with different churches and partners um, last week, actually, last was it last week or the, the week before we went to uh, Exponential here in Orlando, uh, church planting conference. And uh, so I, I do some of those kinds of things as well to kind of help to grow the program, grow its presence and what we are. And, you know, we, we do have something special in the CRC that, you know, we're trying to share with everybody. We, we work with many other denominations around the world as well because they see the they see the value in this. 
it's something that, you know, really can help their church reach out to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And Willie and I were part of a church where I would say that coffee break was probably their primary outreach ministry. I think the coffee break ministry probably was um, bigger than the church itself. Would, yeah. would you say well, it's pretty, yeah, it was that, pretty close? It was pretty close at one it point. It was. Uh, yes. It was a pretty. Yeah, they held it on Tuesday mornings, and it was the the church was just hopping, and kids were all over. My wife was part yeah. of Little Lambs and was teaching the the kids, and and uh, it was a yeah, it was a very effective ministry. So it's a great work, and yeah. it's it's exciting to hear about how it's how it's spreading, right? Or maybe not, yeah. but how it's growing around the world. Uh, just the fact that you said there's it's in thirty different countries is is really yeah. cool, really powerful. And even in, you know, even in our own denomination, um, I'm having to help people rediscover it because mm-hmm. it's gone through a phase where people have forgotten. They don't know what it is. And so people are rediscovering it. Um, even at our home church, we have men's group that use it. We have co-ed groups that use it. I always tell people, I highly recommend it for men because the way we format our studies, it's very helpful for men because, you don't have to bring a lot to the table. You know, you can have guys who know very little about the Bible, you know, sit right along there with you. And so one of our most successful men's group in our home church uh, at Sunlight uses our studies uh, and they just love it. Uh, so it's really kind of, you know, helping even people in our own denomination awaken to the fact that like, hey, this resource, it comes from us. We have other people using it and you don't even realize that like what a good thing it is. Uh, so that's a, that's a big part of my work. Yeah, that's a helpful that's a helpful reminder because I would say that most of the people that I know, including myself, until you just mentioned it, would think of Coffee Break as the women's ministry of the church and wouldn't even think about it for being for a men's group or anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage churches to look into that, especially men's group. I don't know. That's one of the things that's been on my heart more and more and more lately is uh, the need for our churches to develop men's ministries um, to be able to to get our guys involved and and in the word and supporting one another. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to, I mean, what, what I love kind of about your story one so far is that, you know, you, you started this small group Bible study and it gr- kind of grew into a church and now you're overseeing a, a, a small group Bible study is what you're saying ministry yeah. for the CRCNA. So um, it seems like you really have a heart for small group ministry in general. I'd, I'd love to hear your kind of perspective on that. Like what role would small group ministry play in kind of revitalizing a church or even like reforming a church or so on and so forth. Yeah. I think there's different ways. Um, so we know of a, of a missionary who, you know, uh, he was in resonate now actually doesn't, he's not with resonate longer, but he was a missionary that um, when he would go, and this was in another country, when he would gather a group of people together to have them be a core group, what he would do is he actually would take our act study, our discover act study, and he'd go through that with them. And by the time that he was done going through that study with them, those people, not only had they really gelled as a group, but they had kind of like gotten the vision of like, okay, we know how this works. And we know how, you know, he had really modeled it and, and practiced it with them. And the reason that's important is because at the heart of making this work is, you know, the priesthood of all believers getting lay people to open up their homes for small groups. I mean, that's at the heart of what we do in ministry and what I'm passionate about too, because we meet people all the time. They're like, well, I can't do a small group. Uh, I'm not the pastor. I'm not the elder. I'm not the deacon. How can my church possibly grow? Well, can you open up your house and, you know, put on a pot of coffee? Okay. (laughs) Can Mm -hmm. you 
can you open up one of our studies? Our studies are designed for like the lowest common denominator, meaning that like just about anybody can do it uh, with very little training, you know, and coaching and uh, and then getting started and getting people into the word. So we have a phrase that was actually coined by our founder, uh, Albin Brandegrind, um, when he founded Coffee Break is it's called the word does the work. And that's that's a phrase that, you know, we use in all of our training and all of, you know, our promotions, which is that we believe that if we just get people to the word, the word is going to do the work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not going to like, you know, bad mouth um, other studies out there. I think there's different kinds of studies out there and they all have their purposes. Uh, but I think for the last 20 something years, uh, the Bible study world has gotten into a rut where, you know what, if I just pop in a DVD, someone's going to do all the work for me, right? That's my Bible study. So I'm going to pop in a DVD. We bought the workbook and the the TV is going to teach us. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay, but there's a time and place for that. And people have to also understand that those kinds of studies are more designed for that person to teach you in very little conversation. Amen. We design our studies zero zero DVDs. It's just our book and the Bible. And it's designed to get people to talk. Okay. Because if people start talking about the word, then they start thinking about it. Then they start analyzing, then they start interpreting it. And then they start applying it, which is what we want them to do. And that's where like, it starts happening. So whether you're a church plant or a church that needs to be revitalized or a church that has a, you know, successful ministry, it's good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and just the kind of the the core of revitalization or a reformation is this return to you mentioned a bunch of words that came out of the reformation return to God's word right sola scriptura all of that um, but also the priesthood of all believers right that was uh, those were like two massive principles of the reformation and I I I bring together reformation and revitalization I think. If if you're revitalizing a church or a denomination, reformation is happening as well. So they come together and, and both of those kind of flow out of this uh, return to God's word, trusting in God's word to to do the work. I, I really love that that line. That's been Willie and I's, we haven't said it that way, but that's been our ministry philosophy for years as we've worked together. Let the word do the work. Um, but also this priesthood of believers idea too, where we're where we're raising up leaders and we're helping equip the church to go out and do the work of ministry that, that God has uh, called them to do. So. Yeah. And, Oh, I thought Willie was going to say something. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was just going to piggyback off what Jason was said. I mean, that that has been very implicit in our vision, if not made explicit, but that's all. Yeah. You know, um, I work, I, I also work a lot. So we work with, with churches, we work with partnerships and missionaries but I also work a lot with pastors. Being a pastor myself, they I can talk to them on on that level. Like I get it. I know what you're looking for in ministry. You know, I understand what you're going through. But I think you know any pastor, any ministry that does not have any kind of uh, Bible study is kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I mean, I don't care at the end of the day if you buy one from me. I just want you to have a Bible study mm-hmm. um, because here's the thing. So we. One of the things we also talk a lot about in our trainings and we've learned more is, is what we call them adult dialogue principles. So we've taken a lot of time to, to do some learning about the way that adults learn and what are some of the principles that adults learn. And we, we've, we've kind of taken a cue on that. As, as an example, sometimes I tell this to pastors, you know, 
Do I believe that preaching the word on Sunday morning is of supreme importance? Absolutely. You know, we need to hear the word being preached. We need to hear, you know, being told correctly and interpreted correctly. And, you know, people, as they are hearing you preach, uh, they are actually learning how to read the Bible, right? They're learning proper exegesis. They're learning, you know, proper, you know, understanding of it. But they don't have any any opportunity to interact with you. It's a one-way conversation, right? Uh, the other part that the conversation is going is God is talking to them as well, hopefully, right, as you're being preached. But they don't have any chance to ask questions. So where during the week do they get a chance to do that, right? The children get a chance to do that. The youth get a chance to do that. And the adults do as well. And as we all know, in, in our modern Western culture, um, the having the, the Bible study before or after the service has pretty much died out for the most part, right? Unless you're Baptist. <laughs> Many Baptists <laughs> still, still have it. But um, that's pretty much died out. So where, you know, if your church doesn't have a thriving Bible study ministry during the week, people are having questions go unanswered about yes. things that they're hearing on Sunday, things they're hearing in culture, things that hopefully they're reading. But the, I mean, the statistics are there. People are not reading their Bible during the week. Mm -hmm. So this at least gets people to read their Bible. I'll tell you a little story um, real quick. I, I know I haven't, we haven't jumped to the next question, but um, I remember, you know, when we had um, a Bible study during our church plant, these were all blue collar, hardworking people. We'd have the Bible study. I think it was like at seven they would rush home to like, you know, drop off their kids or have something quick to eat to get there. And then they would feel terrible that they're like, oh, I didn't get to answer the questions during the week. And you know what I would tell them? I said, I said, I don't care. I said, what's important is that you got here. I said, now we're going to do the work. We're going to open up this booklet that's going to have questions. We're going to open up your Bible, you know, and I said, what's important is that you made the effort to be here. To me, that mattered more than like, did you do the homework you know, are you the greatest, you know, Bible? Maybe you didn't even read the Bible during the week, but right now for the next hour and a half, you're going to, not only you're going to read the Bible, but you're going to dig into it. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, good grief. That's way worth something because, you know, the world is just battling them all around throughout the week. And at least they made the effort to come once a, once a week to hear from God's word. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I would, I, I've got a question for you and I'll just precursor this and say, I've asked a whole bunch of people this question and I haven't gotten any answers and I don't have any answers either. So I'm hoping you're <laughs> going to solve like all of my I'm, problems. Okay? I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> be the guy. Because um, one of the problems I've heard from other pastors I've experienced myself is um, we're, we're coming into a church where we're wanting to to get our congregation to, to be involved in some kind of a Bible study, right? We we're recognizing that, that our people need to know God's word deeper. Um, and yet when we do hold a Bible study, uh, nobody shows up because everybody's yeah. so busy and whatnot. They, uh, so, so the, the question I've been asking for a long time, and I've got some thoughts on this, but I want you to go first. Um, how do you disciple people who don't realize they need to be discipled? Or, or don't even want to be discipled? That's a great question. Um, you know, I've been in church life a long time, um, and I've been in the CRC a long time. I don't think, I, I think that's one thing in particular that no matter what denomination you're in, it's everybody struggles with it, mm -hmm. no matter what. Uh, and I think it's only probably gotten worse, uh, I would say, in some respects, post-COVID it's gotten worse, depending on where you are. So I think my, my answer to that is, is kind of a simple 
answer. There, there, I don't think there's any real magic. Um, I think the answer to that is just like anything else in ministry, which is that it all comes down to relationships. Okay. It all comes down to relationships. You don't really care about something or want to know about something until somebody else kind of helps you to see that, that it matters. Um, you know, you could apply the same question, same problem to volunteerism in the church. How do we get more people to care about volunteering in the church and about the work that needs to be done so that we don't just have the 80-20 rule? Well, the answer is the same. It's you got to have relationships because everybody knows, you know, you can make an announcement from the pulpit. You could put something out, send people to sign up. People just won't. But I'll tell you what, if you get people out in the lobby and you get them talking to people, like actually having conversations, and then eventually you say, you know what, have you thought about signing up for Sunday school? Have you thought about taking a Bible study this week? I bet you your numbers are going to go up um, because now you have an actual real person right? Making a recommendation, who's had a conversation with you, who's maybe answered some questions, you know, that you have about what this is and what it entails. Um, that's been my experience, is that you are not going to get anything by just throwing out this huge net and thinking like you're going you're gonna to get people to come. I've been through that. I, I mean, the first time we started to do a Bible study and I got all excited about, you know, we were going to do one at our church. No one came. No one. And I was so disappointed. And that's when I kind of like had that kind of sense of epiphany. It's like, okay, this has to be really. And that's actually when I finally did start a Bible study that I felt like God was calling me to do. We invited people personally, my wife and I did. And then guess what? Those people personally invited other people. And those people, you know, it started to go exponentially, but it was all through invitation, all through word of mouth. Um, Not that we don't need those other things. We need the announcements you know, maybe we do some other glitz and glamour, but they're never going to be as successful as somebody, you know, inviting someone to, to help see that. To Maybe even having a video that gives a testimonial about the worth of it. Uh, those are the things that are going to be lasting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's again, you're you're hitting all the things that Willie and I have been pounding for years in ministry. Uh, when we look for volunteers for ministry, we always go up and do a personal invite or an ask. And um, another thing that that I've been thinking of, kind of piggybacks on uh, something you had said earlier, and and I think there there is a strategic point of just our preaching that actually does encourage people to want to dive into God's word more as well, right? And so that's been for me, like we have these people there, they are coming on Sunday mornings. They don't really want to be involved outside of it. And so there, yeah. though, there's a way of preaching from God's word that, uh, and it'd be expository preaching, right? You, you open mm-hmm. up God's word and help people see the beauty of it. They see, um, for one, they'll start to recognize their need like, oh, I don't know this, like I should know this, or wow, that was really interesting and beautiful and and, uh, and even just through the way that you preach, you can kind of begin to create that desire in people to want more of God's word and want to dive deeper. And, uh, but that's, uh, that doesn't happen quickly. That takes a really right. long time, right? That's, um, I, I think most churches, uh, what I've experienced in the past, anyways, most churches, when they want to start a small group ministry and they don't have people signing up for it, usually the announcement 
goes right toward kind of the guilt thing. It's like, well, don't, aren't you real Christian? I mean, what is going on with you? Sign up for this small group. If you, if you're not signed up, then maybe you should question your salvation. Right. And I'm like, well, that's not a real helpful way uh, to get people to be excited about it. Right. And so we, we want to work on hearts and, but, and working on hearts can be done from the pulpit, obviously, but also through those personal invitations that you were, that you were talking about as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. Was there a question? Cause I missed it. <laughs> there wasn't. No, I just, I just ended okay. my thought, let it hang there in case, uh, in case you wanted to build on that. Um, no, I, no. I, yeah. I, I think, I think I, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. What, what have been some of the big challenges you guys have had as a coffee break ministry of trying to help churches kind of use your material and, and get small groups going in their churches. Have you seen other, other challenges besides what I just mentioned? Yeah. Um, part of it is, you know, some of it I mentioned already, which is this um, helping to reawaken people to what we are and what we do, that it's not just for ladies in the church. It can be used for anyone really the, the impetus and um, you know, the sense of what, what are the core at the core of what our ministry is, which is that, you know, we are for outreach, we are for evangelism, and we are for discipleship as well. So it can be used with, you know, Christians and non-Christians together. And so helping people kind of see that has been, a, a, I would say, it's more of a struggle within our own denomination than outside of it, um, just in that respect. Not that we don't have members and users in our denomination, but sometimes helping uh, those in our denomination who don't really know, or, you know, they've only had one view of what we do. Uh, that's part of it. The other part has been um, just learning, you know, having, having a sense for, for training as well. So, you know, if it's a struggle to get people to a Bible study, it's a harder struggle to get people for yeah. training. Um, even, I would say it's even harder now post COVID um, because we're so used to everything being on demand and being video and whenever I wanted and wanting it quick um, and training, you know, is essential because there are, there's a lot, there's quite a few things to learn about how to run a small group. Um, obviously you don't need to be seminary trained or ordained or anything like that, but there are things that we do in our trainings that help people quite a bit. The churches who have grabbed onto that have seen the benefit of it. They've seen the benefit of like, okay, this has really helped my people to, to see that. Um, so th- those have been a couple of, of the, you know, the pitfalls. And then sometimes because our material is open for people to use, you know, they may look at it and go, oh, well, this is really simple. You know, this doesn't have any glitz and glamour. There's no DVD. There's no, you know, this and that. And I'm like, no, but it's deep. You know, yeah. it starts out simple, but it gets deeper. And that's one of those things that I think sometimes has been a struggle. Um, just to, just to name a few, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. I want to kind of transition the conversation a little bit. Um, You kind of mentioned some of the struggles with um, implementing this in in the Christian Reformed Church a little bit. I want to, I want to kind of broaden the lens out a little bit and just ask as you, you know, I know you're, you, you work for the denomination. So this kind of puts you in a little bit of a tricky spot. So, but (laughs) but as you look at the kind of the broad scope of the denomination, what are some of the big challenges that you're seeing in the Christian reformed church as a whole right now? 
Um, obviously, I mean, there's quite a few hot button issues going on, probably some that I'm, I'm not going to touch on. So I think I'm, there's one in particular, you know, I do want to touch on because I am passionate about it. So um, I myself am, am Latino. Um, you know, I don't I don't just do ministry in Spanish. I mean, I do ministry in English. I'm, I, actually, I would say I'm probably more comfortable in English than I am even in Spanish. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I'm not Latino, that I'm not, you know, passionate about my people and reaching out to them and that I don't know Spanish. Um, I think in particular, you know, there, there's other things obviously that are important, you know, the stuff that's going on with the homosexuality report and that whole thing and uh, decline in numbers and, and the nomination, that's important as well. But if I, if I want to, you know, raise an alarm to something and say, Hey, here's a, here's something that, there's good potential for helping to turn things around is, is the need for uh, ethnic ministry, mm-hmm. um, not just with Latinos in particular, but Korean and African-American and, you know, SIPA, uh, you know, Indonesian and those are all those other SIPA countries. Um, I think the next area of growth in general in Christianity, uh, in particular in the United States, is going to occur among ethnic churches. Mm-hmm. Um, the, now this doesn't just have to be first gen. It's just that people who, who have an ethnic background that is not, that is non-white, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's huge potential for growth. Uh, in particular, obviously, you know, I, my, my, the, obviously myself being Latino, Latinos in particular. So as an example, there are statistics out there that say that the United States is on the verge of becoming the number two Spanish-speaking country in the world. Mm. Okay, number two. We're going to surpass Spain, in other words. So we're only going to be number two, I think, to, to Mexico. I think is what statistic is. That means that that's for two reasons. One, there's so many first-gen people who've had kids who have the second-gen is just blowing up. And those kids are also, you know, Spanish speakers or just Latino in general. And then, and also that we're still getting people, you know, coming to this country. So what is it? What do we do with that? Yeah. That's an incredible, huge ministry potential. Um, meaning that, so that means that statistics means that like our neighborhoods and many of our cities are becoming more and more diverse, more and more multicultural. So the question is, does the local church reflect that? Does the local church look like that? And if not, what can we do to to do that and to help grow churches that will reach people that maybe you're not reaching, right? Because sometimes in church planting, it's not that, hey, I'm going to change this church so now it can reach people that it can't. That doesn't always work. But maybe we can plant a church that will reach the people that we can't reach. And I'm so passionate about that. I think we need to be planting more churches and in particular more ethnic churches. And so if there was one message for the CRC, I would have, it would, it would be to do that. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, I'm wondering, Juan, if you can comment on this. This is just, this is my personal thought. Um, as I was at Synod last year, and I was looking amongst the uh, the ethnic advisors and those in the, in the more minority communities, it is those communities that are in the CRC right now that are hungry most for I would say a, a confessional bent, a confessional drive, um, being instructed in the word. I mean, these are things that I just saw very prevalent at Synod. Um, some of the the ethnic churches were some of the most uh, orthodox churches, 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that, if, if you kind of resonate with that. Yeah, I find that uh, I find that to be very true. I find that most of the ethnic churches that I uh, come across are actually more orthodox and more traditional by nature um, than than those, you know, who are in this fight like we're seeing in Synod. You know, I remember seeing some criticism last year about, oh, this is so lily white and that's why the, you know, what happened happened and some people accused. But, you know, the, the truth is is often complicated. Um, I'll just give my classes as an example. So I, I represent Classes Southeast. Classes Southeast um, is one of the most diverse classes in all of our denomination. We have many Latino pastors. We have African-American pastors. We're, we're quite diverse in, in as a classes as a whole. If you came, you would have a great time. We all get along. But, you know, I think we sent, um, I think we sent four, four, four white guys. And we didn't do that as um as as an intentionality of race we just sent our four best people who wanted to two two things our four best people and who wanted to go <laughs> yep. and guess what it ended up being the guys that were so it's like you know we can't always be throwing out the race card of like oh you know it's because you know only the white people want to fight about this and that and it's like no it's just you know, part of it is that, and then I, I think as, as a friend of mine said, who's a pastor, who's a Latino pastor said, um, you know, he's like, we're just not interested in that fight. You know, we're, we're about doing the work mm-hmm. and other things. And it's like, okay, we'll let you guys fight that out. And, you know, we're going to go do other things. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Juan Sierra. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.